Nervous Habits Bonus Content. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Nervous Habits Bonus Edition. I'm actually recording this pretty close to the release date in mid-February. Uh, generally, a lot of listeners will know that the, you know I record the episode, I release it months later, and then everything I said was like super obsolete, uh, outdated. So I'm trying to trying to be better about that. Um, in a perfect world, I'd be putting out you know two podcast episodes a month, like biweekly regular episodes, and then bonus episodes um, also biweekly. So it'd be like main episode, bonus episode, main episode, bonus episode. Uh, but I you know I've, I've been super busy with finishing up law school and everything this year that I haven't had that. Um, this episode will hopefully be the start of, of many things uh, of things like that to come where um, you know I had an episode last week with the wonderful uh, Wendy Seifried uh, on, on nihilism and the next week I'll be talking about um, don't look up the, the film and astrophysics with uh, my friend Stefanos Axios. So hopefully we get back back on track with that. Um, but but yeah technically winter is wrapping up in a couple days. Uh, it's been so frigid in Washington, D.C. And whenever I complain to people, like I take my dog out for a walk, and whenever I complain to people how cold it is, they're like, aren't you from New York? Isn't it cold in Long Island? Um, so I just, I guess I don't do well in the cold weather. Maybe that's like over time, <laughs> over time, like my body is, uh, you know, is, is like a lower threshold to cold sensitivity. Um, so I got an iPad recently. And, a lo- and, and, you know, and if you know me, you know that I'm I'm something of, of a technophobe, particularly when it comes to like uh, redundant technology. Like for a long time, I said, "Oh, I'll never get an iPad. I don't really see the utility in it." Uh, you know, we're already y- using our smartphones to surf the web, and we're using our our Apple computers to do work and organize our our, our notes and things like that. So there's really no need for for a, a disparate device. The iPad is is redundant. But I actually got an iPad. Uh, for free because I signed up for a bar prep course um, for taking the bar this this summer in New York. And as um, an incentive, one of the courses, uh, one of the course companies was, uh, you know, providing free iPads uh, for students to use for studying and and for all all sorts of other stuff. So, um, so so I sort of contradicted my philosophy and I got the iPad. I mean, I didn't pay for it myself, but still. Um, But I am trying to sort of regulate what I have on there because I'm, you know, I've always been very vigilant about screen time. So like I, I didn't download any of the games and there's, you know, hundreds of enticing games out there. Like, um, you know, I, I, I was tempted to, to download Scrabble and, uh, trivia crack and, you know, super Mario, whatever. <laughs> I'm all, I'm also sort of like out of the, I'm not in the fold when it comes to gaming. So if you guys are, are, are laughing at me for, for the games that my head is going towards and, um, so be it. But yes, yeah, so, yeah, so I, I, I didn't want to download a lot of those games because I know all, you know, because the last thing I want is for me to be, instead of scrolling, you know, through Instagram or Twitter for four hours a day, um, I don't want to be I don't want to be spending that time playing games on my iPad. Really, I'm, I'm going to use the iPad to watch TV and movies, um, which of course I, I always talk about in the pod. Uh, if you know I'm a little lazy and I want to like lie in bed, I'll watch TV and movies, and also reading. So uh, I have a very exhaustive list of books that I've been meaning to read, really for the last couple of years. And when I lived in New York City before law school, um, I would have like a you know 45 minute commute each way on the train. And I would bring, you know, take out a book from the library. Uh, believe it or not, we did that a couple of years ago. And I would read a book on, you know, nutrition or uh, the life sciences or, uh, or, you know, physics, whatever I was interested in that week. And that would be 
you know, it'd be a nice way of punctuating my, my ride to and from work. It'd be like a nice, it, it'd be a, a, a good mental exercise. Um, it'd be a break from all the screens. But obviously, like being in law school the last three years, I haven't had the chance to read um, or I just haven't wanted to. Um, but but over the past couple of years, I, I've compiled kind of like a long list of books that uh, I've been wanting to read, you know, when I have the time. And I uh, one of my friends tipped me off that this app, it's called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. It allows you to borrow ebooks from your local library. So if you have a library card to the local library in, in your city or your town, uh, wherever, you you should be able to rent um, really any any ebook that they have in circulation. Uh, what's interesting to me is they limit the number of ebooks that they're that they're willing to sort of um, that they're willing to let people borrow. But the reason why that's perplexing is an ebook is essentially just like a PDF file. So in theory, there's no limit to the number of people who could be downloading the PDF. I'm, I'm going to look this up. I, I bet it's like a, it's a scarcity thing. They want to make it seem – they want to make the copies seem more valuable by preventing their circulation. Why do libraries uh, only let you reserve limited number of ebooks? See, this is probably too long of an inquiry for Google. Google's going to be like, what? It's because oh here we go no it's not <laughs> leave it to me I'm I'm soon to be lawyer uh, watching it's it's actually a legal issue um, uh, Quora comes up uh, why can libraries only check out a limited number of ebooks so apparently the question was good it's down to what the publisher allows so it has to do with licensing publishers don't dictate how ebooks can be used uh, and they're scared of the idea that people won't buy their products if they can get them from a library for free right so this makes perfect sense right like if if you know one of the books. Um, that I'm interested in is this book uh, so good they can't ignore you by Cal Newport. And if if everyone could just reserve a copy for free from their library, then no one would buy it. So it makes sense that the that the compromise uh, by the publishers is, hey, you know, we'll we'll let you loan out, but it has to be a limited number. So that makes sense. Anyway, I digress. So my point is though is so I have this long list of books that I'm meaning to read, and now I'm able to go on this app, Libby, and. Actually, I was surprised. Like most of the books that I want are in circulation as ebooks. You know, it's 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 interesting because I remember when I used to go to the library. This is back when I moved to New York when I was like twenty two, uh, so eight years ago, seven seven eight years ago. Um, I, you know, I, I I'd look for the the books I'm interested in, like nutrition, social science. Um, uh, history, things like that, psychology. And for the most part, they didn't have it. It was just sort of limited. I wonder if now that the a lot of the books have gone digital, it's just easier for libraries to, you know, to maintain copies of them. I bet that's a part of it. But so I'm trying to go, you know, go through these books. I will say I, I am, uh, you know, unsurprising this won't come as this this won't come as a surprise to to many of you, but I'm a traditionalist with books. I I pre- definitely prefer reading the hard copy, you know, pushing, uh, flipping the pages, um, putting in my bookmark, feeling the satisfaction of having read like a big thick 400 page uh, novel. But and for that reason, like I've resisted ebooks for so long. Like when all my friends got Nooks and Kindles, I was like, ah, like you know, why do you want to strain your eyes looking at another screen? But I gotta say, like ebooks are—it's just you know, ebooks are just too convenient um, at this point. Like the fact that on one device I can read 40, 50 different books a year or whatever, 
it's as opposed to like having to you know ob- obtain a copy of, of each of those 40 50 books it's it's too hard to pass up and so now what i'm trying to do again trying to like be on uh screens less uh <laughs> asterisks except for the ipad um is i'm trying to like right before bed do some some reading uh i have a couple books i have like i'm, I'm trying to read two books at once one is one is kind of a light a comedy like uh, jerry seinfeld has this book um that i started reading called uh is this anything? And something more heavy, like like Mitch uh, Princeton's popular "The Power of Likability in a Status Obsessed World." So I have that that kind of uh, duality. So 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 I you know so, so maybe like one night I'm interested in reading something light that will put me to, in a good mood, and uh, maybe I don't really want to get into you know more complex. Um, literature and then some nights maybe maybe I'll be really interested in in reading about the nuances of uh, longevity and aging or uh, nutrients and health so I so I'm trying to start that new routine it's only been a couple days that I've had the iPad uh, so far so good but if you guys have a I think I wonder can you use Libby from your let me see can you use Libby from your computer or just an iPad I have to imagine that um, you can use it on other device. Okay, so you can use Libby on Kindle. Um, let me see. Can you use it on your computer? Yes, I think you can use it on Windows or Mac. Um, and can you use it on your phone? I don't recommend phone because I feel like yep, it, it's okay. So Libby's everywhere basically. Um, so I just gave them a really, uh, really significant five minute long advertisement. But, uh, you know, the important takeaway there is, is I'm trying, I'm trying to do more reading. Uh, I just feel like, you know, I, one of the reasons why I, I like to do this podcast, I don't know if I've said this before, uh, and, and there are many, but, but one of the things that I enjoy is in meeting with, in, you know, conversing with guests in academia, uh, before the conversation, I always kind of push myself to be informed you know, before I sit down with someone who's an expert in, like in Wendy uh, Seifert's case, like philosophy, I don't want to go in blind. So I usually read their book that they wrote that they're promoting. And then I'll read um, parts of other literature out there to inform myself. And it really pushes me to stay, um, you know, stay on top of current events to, you know, stay mentally sharp and, and acute. I think, I think that's something that I prioritize kind of heading into like the next decade of my life is being uh, well-rounded. You know, I don't want to be someone who's only, um, you know, who's only adept in one area, who only knows like the law, for example, or medicine. So hopefully all this reading will, will um, you know, will get me there. And I also just think, I, I, I just think that like this generation, Generation Z or, or, or whatever you want to call them, I, I think there's almost like a, a repugnancy to to books, you know. I just think we're we're in a, an age where, and I was I was I was sort of uh, I was sort of like contemplating this the other day, but we're in an age where like information is so plentiful, you know, like, and there's just so many different articles and you know stories and blogs that you can read out there. People, I think, have almost an information like commitment problem, right? Like they'll start to read an article that's a couple pages long. They're like, ah, I kind of want to see what else is out there. You know what I mean? And for that reason, I do think there's an aversion to committing oneself to a long 
200, 300, 400 page book. And I, I kind of think that's troubling, you know? Um, and so I am definitely going to continue to, um, you know, carry the water for the team of, of books. Anyway, uh, so that's so that's one uh, sort of update that I have for you guys. Um, my dog Penny turned one a couple weeks ago, but I got her date wrong, uh, her birthday. I, I had one job, one responsibility, remember her, her birthday. Uh, but I, for some reason, I like, I, I got her last March and I counted backwards because I got her at eight weeks and I counted backwards from the day that I got her, um, eight weeks before then and then a year forward and, and I messed it up. I was off by a week. So I, <laughs> I had this like, um, uh, touching Instagram thing I posted for her. And then after that, I had to kind of delete it and be like, never mind. <laughs> I got the date wrong. It's next week, but it was cool. I baked her a, uh, a, it was like it was like a dog-friendly cake. There was a recipe for it online, but it was mainly just pumpkin puree, peanut butter. I think there might have been a little flour, egg, and then it had a yogurt frosting, but it was completely flavorless. So there was no sugar. There was nothing in there. Technically, um, it was safe to eat for humans, uh, so I tried it, but it was just it was just like tasteless. <laughs> it was very bland. Um, but yeah, she's one. She's calming down a little bit. She's uh, asleep right now as I as I um. Uh, as I chat with all you guys, and I've also been kind of on a uh, a mission lately to try all of the the good food in D.C. before I graduate from law school and move back to New York, because I think for so long I've said, and and I think uh, other people have said about D.C. like is not as much the the food selection here doesn't compare to to a city like New York, right? And so I tried. Uh, this Georgian restaurant called Supra, which was fantastic. They have this dish. It's called kachapori, kachapori, kachapori. Um, it's this kind of cheesy bread. Uh, I think of it as like a high-priced calzone. So that was one of the one of the best things I've had in D.C. The the kachapori from Supra. So if you're in the D.C. area, I would recommend trying them. I had Lebanese. Uh, I went to this Lebanese restaurant called Ilili. Um, which was very delicious, uh, albeit uh, the price was was sort of extravagant. Um, you can check them out, but uh, I think we paid like I went with a, my buddy and a group of friends for his thirtieth birthday, and I think we paid like seventy dollars for a shank of lamb. But it was good. It was good. It's just like expensive. So I'm trying to um, experience more of those places. Have I? I don't think I. Where else have I? What other food places have I been to um, in the last couple months? And uh, what else? So everyone's like really obsessed with Wordle. Um, and me being the contrarian, um, me being the, the natural contrarian, I refuse to kind of j- jump on the bandwagon. I think it's – I mean it's, it's cool. The nerd in me is kind of happy that, uh, you know – People are obsessed with a puzzle mind game. That's you know, it's like there 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 are much worse things that people could be obsessing over. Um, I just don't like the the frenzy where people are now like posting their Wordle boards every day, uh, and they they cover the word. Actually, I should just I should just explain because I know some some of my listeners probably aren't familiar with it, especially if you're listening on the other side of the world. And I don't know if this is a purely Western or American phenomenon, but Wordle is this uh, this game 
that I think it debuted towards the end of 2021 around the holidays where there's a five-letter word every day um, and you have to guess what the word is. And um, anytime you guess a word, so you get like five or six guesses, anytime you guess a word, the board will show you whether or not any of the letters that you guessed are in the word, in which case they'll be like yellow, I think. Um, and if they're in the word in the correct order, in which case they'll be green. So let's say the word is bread, B-R-E-A-D. You have like you know five or six guesses to get bread. And let's say you guess um, – oh, by the way, every guess that you do has to be a five-letter word. So so you you couldn't guess ruby. You couldn't guess like snap. You also can't just say random letters. The first time I did it, I was like, oh, I'll just put A-E-T-R-S. Those are the most common letters. But no, it has to spell a real, real word. So if the word is bread and you put like there, T-H-E-R-E, um, the – let me see if I can do this. The, the – First E would turn green because it's the right letter in the right spot. Um, and the R, the fourth letter R in there would turn yellow because it's the right right letter but it's the wrong spot. So you get five guesses and then um, uh, if you get it, you like tell your friends whatever you brag. Uh, well, I, I just don't like how it's becoming people's whole personality. Like there are people I know who are posting their game boards every day. There are people posting on like Instagram or, or whatever and they're like – Oh, it's a, it's a Wordle in two kind of day, or like Wordle in three. It's it's just I don't know. It's it's I, I guess I'm just <laughs> like like old man yelling at clouds right now. But uh, but I well, something I do admire about the game is it's not really addictive because there's only one game a day. I think that's cool. I think other game makers right should try to emulate it because the problem with a lot of the games that I mentioned earlier, which I'm not going to have on my iPad, is that it's very easy to just you know, stay up all night playing, um, playing uh, uh, Scrabble or Super Auto Pets, which I'll talk to you about in a minute. Um, but this is only one a day, so I guess I guess it's not super bad. Um, but so for me, I even though I, as I said, I'm an addictive personality, I try to resist games as much as possible. Um, I have actually gotten hooked on. <laughs> a game myself uh my buddies actually got me into it it's called super auto pets um and if you if you if anyone saw me playing with it uh 29 years old they think there was there was something something wrong here it's it's a silly game it's almost like for kids the interface reminds me of pokemon um i don't even know if it's worth telling you about it because because when i say it out loud it's, it's, i'm gonna sound like kind of it's gonna sound kind of unusual it's gonna sound strange that i'm into this game but the idea is that like uh, you you build a squad of animals. I already sound pathetic. Uh, you build a squad of animals, and each animal that you pick has a set number of attack and health. So, like, there's the horse that has two attack and one health, and then there's the duck that has, like, one attack and two health. And you build a squad. You can have f- up to five animals, and each animal has, like, a different special attack move. So, like, the horse has this feature where if you add another animal to the squad that already has a horse in it, they get plus one attack. And the ant has a feature where if they die in battle, they give another animal plus two and plus two attack plus one health. And so every round you get 10 coins to spend on either um, upgrading your squad, so like buying like power-ups for them, 
or you can like sell the, their animals and buy new animals. And then you have like the fight round where you fight against another team. Uh, yeah, I just, I got, I got so addicted the last couple of weeks. Uh, and I've been playing a lot like with my friends, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of our wholesome like FaceTime activity. You know, I, I don't know if like a lot of you guys FaceTime with your best friends like once a week or a couple times a month and you kind of do catch up and then maybe, I don't know, maybe you'll play like a game or something. It's, it sounds kind of corny, but um, we've been doing that and it's, it's a lot of fun. And actually I got so into it that I then got my other, <laughs> my other friends into it and now they're addicted. Um, so super auto pets, it's not an app by the way. So you can't download it on an iPhone. You might be able to download it on, a, on an Android. It's a browser game that you go to, teamwoodgames.com or you can just google search super auto pets and then you just play it on the browser but yeah i i i don't know if i i would say like if if you're someone that can play games for like 30 minutes a day and not get addicted then fine i mean it's there's some some value to just like having a game to wind down at the end of the day you know like it is kind of relaxing it's fun you play you listen to music i just you know i i i i just i worry about like people staying up all night playing trying to beat the game because it is tough to beat to beat it you have to get like 10 10 trophies that's so weird but um what else what else is new with me what else is going on in the world uh i i kind of alluded a couple months ago i talked uh i think this was maybe in one of the bonus episodes like the 2021 recap or the 2022 preview episode but i i was talking about how uh i I had the chance to watch a lot of TV and movies over winter break, um, my winter break from law school, and I haven't had the chance to share uh, them with all you guys until now. Um, and you know, I, I feel like if you've listened to the bonus episodes before, you know that there's always sort of like a TV slash movie segment. Um, I, if I wasn't a law student podcaster, um, I. Well, I would have got to bed school, but if I didn't do that, then I think I, I, you know, would have loved to be like a TV or movie critic because I really love like watching television and sort of like thinking through if I was in the writer's room, you know, how would I have done this differently or what, you know, what decisions did the director make in shooting this? I think about like editing it. Um, I get so into shows that I end up watching like interviews with the, the, director the writers the editors i know uh, I'll, I'll talk to you guys about dexter new blood in a minute but uh with that show for example there's a, a dexter new blood podcast that i listen to where they literally get everyone they get the the movie involves um uh the movie kind of takes place around a seneca community so they like have a seneca consultant that comes on the podcast to talk about his role then they have sound editors sound mixers uh, composers, assistant directors, directors, uh, editors, writers, co-writers, assistant writers. So just like literally shows you how it takes a village to make TV. Um, which honestly, for so long, I've been a movie uh, connoisseur. Like I've always said, I prefer the the medium of a film to a medium of television. You know, my thought is that a a movie is more compact. It's less of a commitment. You know, two hours, you get a nice escape from your life uh, to to see a story through from beginning to middle to end. But lately, I've I've just felt like I, I've just found myself more engrossed in television. Um, and I don't think that's a product of there not being as many good movies out because there are some sensational movies um, 
out right now. I mean, the Oscar nominees just came out, and there are a lot of movies on that list that I want to see. But uh, I think it's just like television right now is is just so stellar. Um, you know, you look at like the best actors, the best writers are becoming showrunners. Um, I think that a lot of the talent, uh, the money is is going to these streaming services, these platforms. Uh, I also think, and I might have mentioned this in a past episode, they're, they're all kind of blending together at this point. But I think that right now we're at a point where, you know, with this golden age of television, the medium of television and movie uh, is is being blended. You know, you have these limited series like eight. I mean, HBO does them so well, like White Lotus and Mayor of Easttown, um, and uh, you know, uh, the uh, Sharp Objects and Undoing, like all those series which are are, are basically like a, a six-hour movie, but it's broken up to six episodes. It's like, how is that different than a movie? Um, but anyway, so I would love to kind of just share my candid, unfiltered reactions to these shows. I think in another life, uh, I, I would have like a TV podcast. I know that The Watch, um, The Ringer puts out a podcast, uh, or a few. One of them is The Watch, which which is pretty solid. But you know, I would love to have a TV podcast where I talk about this, but um, – all I have is nervous habits. So I figure I want to chat with you guys about some shows that I've seen. Um, so, But I also want to be respectful of the fact that like a lot of you guys haven't seen these shows. And I know for me, uh, I am so sensitive to spoilers to the point where like I'll be out with friends. I'll be covering my ears, shutting my eyes because like, I don't want to hear it. So I'm going to stay to show. And if you have not seen it, I will pause for a few seconds so you can jump ahead like 10 minutes or whatever. Because I think for me to like dance around it, be like, oh, I thought it was really interesting when that one thing happened at the end and there was that twist. I feel like that's not as fun for me to talk about and that's not as much fun for you to listen to if you've seen it. So I'm going to start with Dexter New Blood. If you haven't seen it, just jump ahead because I don't want to ruin it for you. If you have seen it, then stick with me for a minute because <laughs> I want to I'm really excited to chat with you guys about this show. Um, so Dexter is one of my all-time favorite shows. It's in my my pantheon uh, along with, you know, Breaking Bad, uh, Better Call Saul, Buffy, Angel, Mr. Robot, and seasons 1 to to 4 uh, or not 1 to 4. Season 1 with the ice truck killer, uh, Brian, his, his brother, and season four with Trinity Killer, to me that's like two of the best seasons ever on television. I think that uh, Michael C. Hall, I mean, you, you can't say enough about him. Um, he's, he's, he embodies that character. It's, you, know, you, know, you see him in interviews and you're like, what is Dexter doing? <laughs> what is Dexter doing interviewing with Entertainment Tonight? Uh, but I, I will admit like um, the – after season four, I think that the show – kind of you know it, it's it's no secret that after season four when Clyde Phillips the showrunner left uh the show kind of lost its luster a little bit and then in later seasons it kind of went off the rails uh they killed off Deb Dexter's sister and um and an integral part of the show and then Dexter faked his death in a hurricane and left his son and there was a lumberjack or something so you know and and it's it's regarded as the the worst and it's regarded as like the worst series finale of all time, which I probably would agree with, having seen a lot of TV, having seen a lot of TV shows end, having seen a lot of series finales. Like, yeah, the Dexter, the original Dexter series A finale was was horrible. So I went into Dexter New Blood with low expectations. I think a lot of people didn't, you know, a lot of people like didn't know what 
what they would do. Like, is this, it was unclear. Is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? Are they going to make multiple Dexter New Bloods? Is this a one and done? Is this a season nine? Uh, but I have to say, like, having finished Dexter New Blood, overall, the season was incredible. I think they managed to somehow capture, recapture the early magic of Dexter. Um, the writing was fantastic. I know they brought, <laughs> from listening to that podcast, they brought back a lot of the original writing team. The new additions to the cast were were uh, sensational. Jack Alcott is really believable as, as a son. He nailed a lot of Dexter's mannerisms. Um, I thought Clancy Brown, who played Kurt, was one of the top villains from the show. Uh, and Julia Jones was also pretty good as, as Angela. Uh, my one gripe, and I think this is I think if you've seen Dexter New Blood, then you probably agree with. Then you might agree with me. It, but it's the it's the ending, which again is pretty polarizing. Um, although I feel like most people agree that it's better than the original. And I warned you about spoilers, so if you ignored me, here's one more warning. Okay, in the ending of Dexter New Blood, they in like the last five minutes, they just killed off Dexter. In the finale. Um, and then the series ended with Harrison driving driving away. And uh, you hear a voiceover of Dexter's letter to, to Hannah. And so that kind of confirmed that it's not a reboot. There's no more seasons. It was a one-and-done arrangement. And, you know, I think a lot of fans are upset that they killed off Dexter. Which is like, you know, why kill off the title character of the show in the last episode? I mean, Breaking Bad did it. I feel like... In Breaking Bad, it felt like a more natural place for Walt's story to end um, than here. I feel like there's more story to tell here. But be that as it may, you know, fans are going to be upset when you kill off Dexter. Obviously, like this sympathizing, whatever. But my issue isn't that he uh, isn't that he died. Like I think they could have done that effectively in a different way. Um, my issue is like how it happened. So first of all, you know, going back a little bit in the episode. I don't think Dexter would have killed Logan in the jail cell. Like, if you remember, he's in prison, and then uh, Logan, uh, Angela's partner, um, comes up to him, and Dexter ends up asking to be let out, and Logan says no, and uh, and he kills him, and, and he basically violates his code. So to me, that didn't seem plausible, because in the original Dexter, he didn't kill Dokes. You remember, like, in the original Dexter, he refused to kill Dokes, um, he kind of left him in a cabin. He didn't know what to do with him because he didn't. He went against his coat. So that to me felt a little bit contrived. And then Harrison going from you know in, in just the beginning of the episode, feeling like oh relieved that he's not alone in the world, that someone understands him, to basically shooting him right in the heart, just felt like such an abrupt turn. And you know I and for that reason I just feel like the ending was rushed. I think that. You know, I, I know why they wanted to kill Dexter. Like I said, I think that the showrunner Clyde Phillips and a lot of the writers on Dexter wanted to make clear that he wasn't some vigilante. He wasn't a good guy. He wasn't a hero. He was a monster, and he needed to be brought to justice. So to me, if you're going to kill him, I think that it could have been – I think the, the storytelling could have been more crisp. Um, I would have liked to see more buildup to why Harrison was killing Dexter as opposed to this abrupt turn. Uh, and also I wanted to see the fallout, like what happened afterwards. It just ends like immediately after he dies and then, you know, cut, cut to black. Uh, and 
and I, I and I don't know if, if anyone else listening feels this way, but I also think it would have been more satisfying for Dexter to have been arrested and extradited to Miami and have had to face his old coworkers, uh, Batista and Quinn and Masuka. Because like we get eight seasons, and, and that, you know that was my gripe, a lot of people's gripe for the for the original season eight finale. You get eight seasons of Dexter evading the police and getting away with his crimes. Like we want to see him confronted by these people, you know, and like to have Batista flying to uh, Iron Lake, New York, and never showing his confrontation with Dexter just seems like a missed opportunity. So like all in all, I think that New Blood was like a huge success for Showtime. Like people are talking about Dexter again. People are going back and watching the original. Um, I, it's just, I just feel like they didn't stick the landing and I'd be interested like if, if other people felt this way. Uh, I go on Reddit and I read about shows that I'm, that I'm super like, like addicted to and yeah, it seemed like same as season eight. Like this is polarizing. There were even people that said like this was worse than season eight. Uh, but I really hope that I'll say this. The last thing I'll say about Dexter, I really hope that they don't have like a season t- – I really hope that they don't do like a season two of New Blood with Harrison as the lead. Uh, I mean they need they would need to change the name. You can't have Dexter New Blood without Dexter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just – I don't think it would work. And for a second I was like hopeful like, oh, maybe Dexter's not dead. You didn't see him die, right, Wh- whatever, but – Clyde Phillips already confirmed in some interview, like, nope, he's dead. Uh, people were joking. I read it though. They were like, "See you guys in ten years when they try to do the series finale a third time," <laughs> which I think is is pretty funny. Like they keep making a series finale for Dexter and botching it. Uh, so yeah, I Jack Alcott's fine. I just I, don't, I really don't want to watch a Harrison show with De- with Dexter as like the voice. I think that's that wouldn't work. But Michael C. Hall was like just incredible. I mean, the fact that this guy can step away from Dexter for like eight, nine years. And then he, he, I mean, he looks great. He looks the same and, uh, and kind of just slide back into his role. Like no time has passed. That's been, um, super impressive. The other show that I've been watching a ton lately. Um, and I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts is game of Thrones. So similarly with Dexter, if you have not seen game of Thrones, uh, please skip ahead 10 minutes or however long I end up talking about it. Uh, although I would imagine that there are fewer people that haven't seen Game of Thrones than haven't seen Dexter. I just think it's such a, you know, such a cultural footprint. And I say that even though I ignored it for like, it debuted in 20, 2011 for like 10 years. So what can I say about Game of Thrones? I, so I, I honestly, so, so I'm like at the beginning of season six, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Somehow, I've managed to stay unspoiled, though it does annoy me that people will often make references to Game of Thrones spoilers on the TV shows of other – on the Reddit pages of other TV shows. So like on, on the Dexter Reddit, um, someone will write like, wow, this is almost as surprising as when Rob died in the Red Wedding. And I was like <laughs> – so like I, I didn't see that exact spoiler, but I've seen similar stuff. But for the most part, I've stayed unspoiled. I have no idea how season seven, how season eight ends. Um and, you know, when I first started watching Game of Thrones, like I might have mentioned last year on various bonus podcasts that the first few seasons, there were a lot of characters. There were a lot of storylines. Um, it was hard to follow. It was confusing. It was stressful. It felt like work watching it. The dialogue sounded kind of stilted. Um, but I think it has gotten better. I think that the writing and acting 
I mean, the writing acting have been good, but I do feel like once the storylines have started to intersect and and once I've I've had the benefit of seeing where it was going, it makes more sense and it's more enjo- more enjoyable to watch. Which is why I think Game of Thrones is one of those shows that might have been better on the second watch than the first watch, because um, you can kind of look for Easter eggs like, oh, that makes sense, or like, oh, now I know why this character was introduced. Now I know why it's so important. You can see the development and all that. So, like I said, I'm at the beginning of the sixth season, so I'm just going to mention some things that I've really liked so far and some things I've been critical of. Some of them are like pretty hot takes. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty uh, critical of Daenerys, which is, uh, you know, might be surprising to some of you guys because she's like the you know, crown jewel of the show. She's supposed to be the heroine, but um, I'm, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan. But anyway, so I guess to start first on a positive note, um, I – so the show does battle sequences better than I've ever seen on TV before. So shout out to the crazy budget that HBO has for Game of Thrones or ha- had for Game of Thrones. I think I read somewhere that the studio spent over like $10 million an episode um, – Actually, no. It was. It was originally. I think it was ten million in season six, and by season eight, it was fifteen million an episode, which is like, I, I can't even imagine. So, I mean, that's why I think season eight was only like six episodes because they ran out of money. Um, but yeah, that would make sense because ten because it's ten episodes. Ten times ten is hundred million. Six is fifteen times six is ninety million. Uh, but I love the battle sequences. Like in the, in the end of the sixth of uh, the fourth season, they had the the battle with the wildlings against the Nice Watch. That was just so incredibly done and the stakes were so high and it was you know i was terrified i was like praying john snow was okay and then season five the battle with the white walkers um where john goes to get the wildlings and bring them over the wall for their safety and uh and the white walkers come and and kill everyone i will say it's very interesting to me um and i don't know if the people if if you know, if if people felt the same way when they were up to season six, obviously I don't know what happens next with the White Walkers. But it's really interesting that the first scene of the show in season one shows these White Walkers as this looming existential threat. Um, they kill men of the Night's Watch. You know, that's the first thing you see about Game of Thrones. But then they're never shown again um, through really not until like season five. So for four or five seasons – uh, and so you have like four or five seasons of these families bickering and fighting for power, you know, the Lannisters and the Starks and the Tyrells. Um, and then finally they show these White Walkers at the end of season five. So I almost wish the show had done a better job scaling the threat up earlier in the show rather than just like, um, you know, showing that epic battle scene. And I guess like this, you know, not to be negative in the middle of my positive rant, but that's another – problem with game of thrones is like there's just so many storylines and there's so many characters and there's a lot of toggling back and forth a lot of tax task switching on the part of the viewer you know in just a single episode you'll go from like you know sam tarley at home to uh Tyrion and and varus in um now i'm trying to remember everything in marine to daenerys with the dothraki to cersei and the high the high sparrow and then jamie and bron and then sansa and arya there's i mean sometimes there's like 12 to 15 different um like stories that are being shown in the same episode so it's a lot but having said that i think you know i wish they would have done a better job with the wild with the white walkers because there's such a, a threat but continuing continuing with positive uh I couldn't couldn't help myself, uh, Cynic Ricky. 
I really like Brienne's character. You know, I, I love I love that she stands with um, Catelyn and then later with Sansa. I, I love Sam Tarly's character for the same reason. I think that something that, you know, I get frustrated with on television is when you have shows with no characters that you can root for. And some might argue this is like good storytelling, but I just find I'm less motivated to watch it if I'm not emotionally connected with the characters, which is maybe why I haven't seen Succession yet. But for that reason, like, if everyone's corrupt and self-serving, um, you know, I'm just I, I I don't I don't feel that sympathy or, or empathy for the characters. So when you have a good character that's killed off, like like Rob, um, to me that's like that's you know that's like a, a downgrade. And and you know I'll get to the red, red wedding in a sec, but that's the reason why I like characters like Sam Tarly and Brienne because it's like you have people to root for, um, and. I understand the, the other side, which is like, oh, you know, Game of Thrones is supposed to show that no one's invulnerable to corruption and we're all evil and shades of gray. And I, I get all that. But like you'd like to think that the world has some good people in it, right? Um, especially like with, with how shitty things are with the pandemic and climate change. Like do I really want, want to watch a TV show where like there's no goodness? <laughs> it's all just power-hungry, opportunistic people. Um uh, what else do I like? I, I really enjoy um, Tyrion's character overall. I think his dialogue is incredible. You know, the way that he's written, um, always always great one-liners. And I thought that his killing of Tywin on the, on the toilet was, was amazing. Um, that was one of the high points of, of the series. I also liked that they killed off Joffrey. Uh, it took a long time um, to get rid of him. I mean, he's such... It's hard because you have a character like that who you hate so much... You almost like love to hate him. Like I, I remember when I was watching. I was just like, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch this character die. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, credit to the to the actor, I guess. But uh, I thought that was another high point of the series. Um, some things I have like mixed feelings on. I think that the red wedding for its shock value was incredible. Like, you know, next to the only things that I think come close. I'll give a Dexter spoiler and a Buffy spoiler. So jump ahead, yada, yada. I think when Buffy found her mom dead in season five, that was, I watched that live in like 2001 or something, 2002. No, actually it was 2001 because that was season five of Buffy. When Buffy found her mom home on the, uh, dead on the couch, that was up there in chalk value. And then when um, Dexter found Reed in the bathtub, that's the only thing that surprised me as much as the Red Wedding. Uh, but it's just like, I think when you watch a show like Game of Thrones, you almost kind of, you're you know nudged into this feeling of comfort and security like oh like these are the main characters they're untouchable nothing's gonna happen to them so then to watch rob who the king of the north the you know heart and soul of the stark family um just be murdered like i i yeah yeah i mean it was incredibly shocking so they get points for that but honestly the show also kind of like fell off for a little while after that partly for what I mentioned about not having a, a, a good character to root for. So I um yeah, so like overall I wasn't I wasn't super crazy about that. Uh but again, like I understand it needed to happen because they follow the books, yeah, 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 all that stuff. In terms of things that I just flat out don't like, this is a hot take. I I, I don't love the character of Daenerys. I think that the show for the last six plus seasons that I've seen, the show's been building her up to be this virtuous heroine. Right, like every season ends for the most part with her doing something 
incredibly inspiring, whether it be like season one when she exits the fire holding the, the dragons that have hatched. Um, uh, season two or three ended with uh, her like riding the dragons or something and freeing people from chains. So, you know, they build her up to be this virtuous heroine, but I just don't see her as that different from the Lannisters. You know, she's power hungry. She feels entitled and she'll stop at nothing to be queen. But are we supposed to believe that she is more benevolent because she frees people from slavery? You know, because her actions kind of demonstrate that she is kind of self-involved and is kind of, you know, interested in, in attaining the throne for herself, just like Cersei Lannister. You know, and I'm also irked just generally by like, how she introduces herself with like 20 names. She's like, I'm da- Daenerys Stormborn, mother of dragons, breaker of chain, Khaleesi of, you know, it's like 15 minutes. Um, and I know that, believe me, I know I'm stuck with her for the rest of the show. <laughs> like the show has signposted as much as they love killing off main characters, they're not going to kill off Daenerys. Um, but I just think the other characters that I mentioned above, like Tyrion, like Sam, like Brienne, even Sansa and Arya, I find those to be way more compelling way more easier to watch and easier to root for. Uh, so, but yeah, like I, I, I figure that's a hot take because I feel like most people when they watch it just love Daenerys. They, uh, even before I saw Game of Thrones and I was like, you know when you don't watch a TV show but you kind of pick up bits and pieces based on the cultural conversation? That's how I am with, with Succession. I don't watch it but like I know that everyone's a dick and uh, – Michaela Culkin's little brother is like an amazing actor or something. That's that's kind of like what I heard about Game of Thrones. Like, oh, Amelia Clark is so good. Daenerys is great. Um, so yeah, it's a hot take. I also think, and this is something I think everyone agrees with, the torture of Theon, um, his mutilation, his um, devolution into reek, the name he was given because his flesh smells like like you know because rotting and it reeks has just been so gratuitous and disgusting that it's hard to watch. I understand like depicting graphic violence and gore and that sometimes it advances the storytelling. I just don't know if the if like the show needed to, to depict all that. It's like it was hard to stomach. His character is Yeah, that's painful. Um I thought that killing Jon Snow in the end of season 5 and then bringing him back like two episodes later felt kind of pointless. It felt like low stakes. Um Granted, I'm watching it not in real time. I'm, I'm, you know, watching an episode and then a few days later watching another episode. So maybe in real time, when you have like a year between seasons, it might have felt like higher stakes. So, uh, and the other thing is like I know that the story is based on the books, so I can't fault the show for doing that too much. Um, and then, I mean, some of the other criticisms, to be honest, like I, I want to be fair here. It's hard to criticize the storylines because I don't know where they go. Like, the Bran storyline, I have no idea what happens with Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven um, and uh, and that thing. I don't know what happens with Arya in the temple becoming no one. So far, it's just made no sense and I haven't been invested in it. Uh, so hopefully it goes places. I will say with, with Bran, though, he, he just flat out was not shown for like two seasons, right? Like at the end of, I feel like season four, he got to the tree, he got up to this giant tree and they started and he met the three-eyed raven and they were like, you're going to join us. And then they just didn't show him until season six. So like, 
And again, that's a product of the fact that the show has so many damn storylines that they don't have time to show Bran. Uh, so I hope that those storylines go somewhere. But yeah, I've seen like 75% of the show and it's gotten a lot better. Um, there is, there's a lot to, to like. And also, as much as I, I bitch about it, at the end of the day, like I still watch, you know, I still watch every episode. I'm still like very hooked on it. Um, I wonder if like I'm more critical just because the show has so much hype and so much fan adulation. Um, I just don't know, like at this point, the show ended today, I don't think it'd be in my top tier. I don't think it'd be with, uh, with, with Dexter and, you know, Mr. Robot and Buffy and Angel Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. I just, I, I don't think it, it makes it up there. Um, and we'll see. I mean, probably the next time you'll hear me talk about Game of Thrones in this podcast will be once I've finished it. Um, once I've watched the ending and I can only imagine from what I've heard about last, about the last season, um, how much I'm going to hate it, you know, like for for people listening who have seen all of Game of Thrones, I'm sure there are many, uh, you're probably like chuckling in your, uh, chuckling in your head, like, you know, wait till he sees what happens. He really, if he hates Daenerys, wait till you see what happens when, when she gets the Iron Throne, like (laughs) stuff like that. Um, so my, my hot takes on the ending to GOT are yet to come. Uh, sorry, that was a lot. I need like, I need to take a breath after that. So um, I watched a bunch of other shows over break. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do like an exhaustive dive on them. But uh, I guess the last one that that I should say something about, um, something substantive about that I really liked is Squid Game. You know, Squid Game took the world by storm in uh, 2020, or sorry, in 2021, um, arguably like the most successful um, foreign language show, at least in in, in the West, um, kind of riding the coattails of uh, the success of Par- uh, Parasite and the uh, horror genre in Korea kind of finding its way into the Western world, kind of finding its way and, and building a a fan uh, following in America, and I had put off watching Squid Game for a while because I, I knew it would be amazing. I just, um, you know, I I mean, how could it not be given the the, the critical acclaim it received? And I got to tell you, it lived up to expectations. I mean, the fact that I so I, I didn't listen to the dubbed version. I did the version in Korean with subtitles. Um, I just generally don't believe in. I just don't think it's like. I don't think you should watch a movie in another language with the English dubbed in because then the lips don't match up. There's something, there's like dissonance it creates. So I watched it with the Korean and I just had the, the subtitles. And the fact that like, like I I can honestly say I understood every single word just because the actors were so emotive and so expressive that like I don't speak Korean, but I understood the sentiments that they were conveying. Um, so really just like overall, the the writing on that show the ingenuity, the like, just the idea of coming up with something like Squid Game, uh, a scenario where, you know, people where you're willing to to die and you're willing to kill others for the prospect of of coming out of poverty. Um, I think it just it it captures something uh, really really dark and um, you know really powerful. And I mean the acting, like I said, it's just those guys are all stars. I mean. Uh, Lee Jung Jae, who played Ji Yoon, the main character, Ho Ho, uh, Ho Yun Jung, who played 
Sebiak, uh, um, and Sangwoo, uh, Park Hae-soo, who, who played Sangwoo. Those guys, those guys were all stars. I would say the game that I enjoy the most, because that's what people always say, like, what's your favorite game? For people, you know, if you like Squid Game, I really liked the Tug of War sequence. Um, I think that was like the pinnacle of the show, where they're going up against the team. It's like uh, it's a true underdog story, you know. It's it's like um, the old man uh, Il Nam is on their team, and a few women, uh, and then they're going up against a team of like strong men, and it's like there's no way they're going to survive this. But they use this like strategy where you put like people on opposite sides of the rope, and you pull and you lean your back forward and all, all that stuff and it was like really beautifully done uh i will say and uh this i think this is a pretty popular opinion as good as the show was and i do think it was one of the best uh tv series from last year i also think similarly to dexter that they didn't stick the landing um i think that the first i think there were nine episodes total eight episodes total the first seven eight episodes were amazing the last one or two to me the show the like writers might have run out of ideas you know they like create this incredible competition it's like okay now who wins this and what happens when he wins the idea that you know ji yun would uh ji yun who had been fighting desperately to be able to to financially support his daughter and he finally has the means to go to america to support her the idea that he would then return to uh, the idea that he would then stay in Korea to confront the makers of the game or, or to play again or whatever. It just, to me, is like, that doesn't really make sense. I think LeBron James even said, I think uh, there was like uh, something on Twitter where LeBron James was even like, dude, like, like what what the hell happened in the ending of Swing, Swing Game? He's like telling one of his teammates. But yeah, really, really fantastic show. Um, and much like with Game of Thrones, I think I was the last person in the world to have seen uh, Squid Game. Um, and then I watched WandaVision and Loki, which were both fantastic. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into those, but if you're a fan of Marvel, um, I would definitely check out those shows. Loki Loki was a little bit better, I think, but they, but they were both terrific. Uh, and then I finished Handmaid's Tale. I think I've talked about that on the pod before. So now, once I, I finish up Game of Thrones, I will turn to the new season of Ozark, uh, which I'm a huge fan of. And eventually, when it comes out, the new uh, season of Better Call Saul. Um, but yeah, that was a little bit longer of a TV rant that I wanted um like I said I just really really get into my really get into my uh to my tv shows so um so so forgive me if if I ran a little, a little bit too much and hopefully I didn't and hopefully I didn't spoil anyone um but I did warn you so let me grab I'm gonna grab a cup of water or a coffee because my throat my throat's dry from all that rambling all right so I'm back um uh, what was was it? Oh yeah, so so I finished all my TV stuff. Um, I guess one last note is kind of ancillary to the whole TV conversation. Uh, there were so there have been a number of allegations against uh, Joss Whedon, the um, founder, showrunner, executive producer, I think director, writer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, creator of Angel, Firefly, Firefly, some of. My favorite shows um, growing up and someone I really looked up to, there were allegations that he exhibited predatory behavior on the set of Buffy. Um, 
There was an article written, I think, in Vulture. Uh, there were a number of outlets reported on it, but he apparently wasn't allowed in the room alone with Michelle Trachtenberg, who played Don. He was emotionally abusive to Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordy. And these reports are like, these reports are troubling for so many reasons. Um, I think for me, like I, as I said, I idolized him when I was a kid. You know, he created my favorite shows, uh, Buffy and Angel, ever since I was like, Buffy came out in 97, ever since I was five. Uh, I was just the biggest fan of his. And, you know, now I think like a lot of people who grew up in the 90s, fan of Joss Whedon's work, like I find myself confused, you know, having to separate Joss Whedon, the creator, the 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 artist, um, from Joss Whedon, the person, Joss Whedon, the man. Uh, and, you know, as an artist, he was obviously like a brilliant writer. Uh, he is a brilliant writer, brilliant creator, producer, storyteller. Uh, and I do think you can watch Buffy and distinguish between him and his creation. But as a person, I mean... He, he's nasty. He he was insensitive. He made his writers cry. He called, uh, I read he called members of his staff fat. You know, he wasn't just a dick. He was abusive. He, you know, while he was married, he slept with his fans, with his employees, with colleagues. Uh, there were women who dated him after his separation from his wife. And they they said to, you know, the media outlets that he wasn't some hero that they read about in the press that was um, adulated by fans he was, you know, he was more like the cold-blooded men by the vampires that he depicted in his work. It's also frustrating because, like, he was, you know, he was portrayed as such a feminist, as someone who, uh, you know, vaulted women into power, right? Like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was the story of, like, a, a strong woman fighting back in the 90s. This is before, uh, really, the feminist movement take, uh, took charge. And I think a lot of women, young women, looked up to Sarah Michelle Gellar and looked up to Buffy and looked up to Joss and his storytelling as like a feminist icon. So the fact that he's, I don't know, he's like now shown to be like such a, a misogynist, it's uh, is painful. And I guess I'm saying all this, like I don't, I don't usually talk about all these issues on the pod um, just because like they're so, you know, these are such like difficult, heavy issues. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not the best person to be talking about them for so many reasons, but I just felt like I had to mention it here. Uh, even though it is like the light bonus episode and we keep things super goofy, like I feel like I had to mention it because I I do love Buffy and I'll always love Buffy and it's it's still my favorite show. And I think if you haven't watched it, you, you shouldn't be deterred because of Joss Whedon and because of these, these things. I mean, because the reality is like, as I said earlier, like coming full circle when I talked about uh, Dexter and Game of Thrones, like, a TV show is never just one person's creation. It's never just the actor or the star. It's never just the director or the showrunner or the writer. It's the culmination of like work of hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And so, yeah, I do think you can sort of put his, um, you know, put all, all of his, his issues aside and, and still enjoy and appreciate the show. Um, so just wanted to say all that. Uh, and, of course, I have to talk about what's happening with baseball, uh, one of my other loves, um, which I don't talk about much on the podcast because you guys, um, I don't think a lot of baseball people listen to the show. But uh, if you haven't been following the news, 
there is a baseball lockout, okay, which is basically like a work stoppage. Uh, and we're in mid-February, so in a normal year, pitchers and catchers would be reporting in the next couple of weeks, which is like spring training, just uh, the month leading up to baseball season. But right now we have like a, a work stoppage. And basically, let me see if I can explain this like based on my understanding of unions and labor relationships so like i guess there's there's strikes which is when the labor side so like the baseball players and their union put a halt to their operations they go on strike but this is not a strike this is a lockout so this is initiated by management so the owners of the teams in this instance so like there's two sides there's the players represented by the players union the baseball players and then you have management the ownership um uh, the 30 billionaires or whatever <laughs> that own these baseball teams. Uh, and, and I think for most fans, you know, it's it's easier to side with the players, you know, because when you go out to see a, a baseball game, you're not going to see, um, you know, the Steinbrenners, the team that owns the Yankees, or Steve Cohen, uh, my guy who owns the Mets. You're going to see the people that put on the uniform. And one of the, reason, one of the reasons why there was a lockout initiated is the players are just fed up with the state of baseball. Uh, and I think this has been, you know, um, this has been building up for quite a long time. From the player's standpoint, they want to address a bunch of things. They're, first of all, their shrinking share of league revenue. So, like, baseball owners make so much money off of these games. It's 162 games, so they get the ticket sales. They get sales from concessions at the game. You know, you go and you spend, like, $30 on a beer, a hot dog, and fries. Um, merchandise sales. Uh, all the different fees that come with owning a baseball team, the players get comparatively like a small proportion of that. Um, and in part, it's because the the major league minimum, like the, 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 the lowest possible salary, the players think is too low and should be, should be raised. So that's one issue is revenues. They also are frustrated with this thing called service time manipulation. So basically, I don't know why I'm explaining all this. Um, so basically, I guess this is fun. Um, the, so if you're a minor league player in baseball, uh, and you get called up to, 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 to be a major leaguer, uh, your, it's called your service time clock starts the season that you get called up. So, um, let's say you get called up at the end of the season, um, you know, in like August or September, the service time clock would start and you get six years, um, from when you get started up, when you when you start until when you are eligible for free agency, six years where you're stuck with the team like the Mets or the Yankees, and then you can be a free agent and sign with whoever you want. But what teams have been doing, and this has been going on for years, I remember I think with Chris Bryant is when it received the most uh, press and the most attention, is they're delaying the service time. They're keeping players in the minor leagues for as long as possible. So then they can keep them um, down and bring them up at the start of the season. So if someone's ready in August or September, you're not going to bring them up and waste a full year of service time. You want them for the full season. So they keep them in the minor leagues um, so that they have them for longer. And so pl- players obviously don't like that because if you're major league ready, you should be called up now. You, you know, and, and also if you know the players want to get to free agency as soon as possible. So they don't appreciate that, that manipulation. The other thing they want is free agency after five years instead of six. Right now, to be a free agent, you need six years in the major leagues. Uh, they want five. Uh, they also don't want tanking. This happens, I feel like this happens in a lot of sports, but like the idea is if you're out of the race 
in you know July or August. Only only six teams make the playoffs from each league. Uh, five teams rather. Um, and if you're not one of those five teams in the National League and you're you know in last place, what incentive do you have to to to, to do well? You don't because as as you know, if you follow any sports, um, if you finish last, you get the number one draft pick, uh, and you have a chance to rebuild your farm system for for next year. And so teams are just. Uh, teams are just tanking. They're just basically phoning in the season saying, yeah, we don't really care if we lose 110, 120 games because we want the top draft picks. Um, and you can see why that's problematic because then you have no competitive parity. You know, you have like most teams are getting better, but four or five teams um, are just, you know, getting worse. Like I think about the Baltimore Orioles, the Detroit Tigers, um, Pittsburgh Pirates, uh you know, there there have been. I feel like there are a lot of teams that year after year just don't want to compete, and so you can see like the players have a ton of things that they're frustrated with with like the state of baseball. And then from the owners' perspective, of course, they want the status quo. They're happy getting a big piece of the pie. They're happy manipulating the service time and free agency in six years. Um, they they have made a couple concessions already. Like there's this whole thing movement for like the universal DH which is uh, the idea that in the American League, there is a designated hitter in the National League, the pitcher has to bat. So I think the owners have agreed that a universal DH is best. And I think the players want that because that gives more players the opportunity to get into the lineup as a DH. Um, And also for pitchers, a lot of pitchers get hurt when they bat. So they probably don't love batting in the National League. But anyway, this this is so granular. I can imagine so many of you guys are listening, like either fast forwarded all this baseball talk, which is totally justified, or you're listening to this and you're like, I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about, uh, which is also justified. Um, I know that uh, I have friends and family, like my sisters are, are listening. They're like, dude, why does he do it? Like nobody, nobody cares about baseball. But I do. I, I, I love this stuff. <laughs> and um, I'm frustrated because this lockout's been going on since like December. So we've had three months now. Um, with no baseball. And by the way, not only does the season get get delayed, but all of the off-season moves, like, you know, generally there are trades that take place. There are teams that sign like big free agent pitchers or big free agent hitters. None of that can happen because during a lockout, you it's much like a strike. You can't talk to the other side. So the, the owners are prohibited to talk to free agents and the free agents can't talk to the teams. So not only are we not getting baseball on time this year, but we're not getting any of the juicy hot stove, you know, like the off-season activity. Um, You know, even if you're not a fan of baseball, like you probably know that like Max Scherzer, who was one of the best pitchers of this generation, he got signed by the Mets and that was a huge deal, right? It's like free agency is really exciting. So we don't get any of that. And then spring training, which as I said, uh, end of February and March, you know, that's not going to happen on time this year. You know, that, that assuming an agreement comes about soon, best case scenario is like a month delay spring training. And then instead of baseball starting in April, early April, it starts in early May. And then it's like, do we get a 162-game season? I, I can't see a scenario where we, where we would get a 162-game season because seven months of baseball, if we start in May, would put the World Series in like December. And <laughs> I feel like it's... It's too cold. I I feel like it's like it would be too cold to play baseball that late or there'd be snow in the elements. I wonder, let me look this up. Has baseball 
ever been played in December. I wonder, do you guys like when I do this on the podcast? When I just look things up in real time? I know uh, I listen to, I mentioned him a lot. I listen to Bill Burr, the Monday Morning Podcast. And he does this all the time. <laughs> so it's just an homage to him. Uh, it doesn't say, okay. Late, let me see. Latest baseball game ever. Not the latest time. 4.40 a.m., Phillies and Padres in 93. That's interesting. But latest in the year. Nope. Uh, let's see. Baseball in December. Came for The 2001 World Series was the first one to end in November due to the week-long delay after the 7th, 11th, September 11th attacks. So it doesn't sound like anything, any baseball was ever... Hang on. Hang on. Hold the phone. No. I... So correct me if I'm wrong, fact check me. I don't think that any baseball has ever been played in December. So anyway, um, I went on, on a tangent there. So it just doesn't seem like baseball is going to start on time this year, and then it's going to be a shorter season. Instead of 162 games, you might have 130 games, maybe even 120 games. Also, there's a chance, guys, for the baseball fans out there, there's a chance there just won't be any baseball this year, which is, like, really sad, um, which would be really sad. Like, my entire life— I've never had a year without baseball. Like every year I've experienced a baseball season. I think in, what was it, 1994, there was the strike. There was a strike that year and there was no baseball, but I was two years old, so I, I wasn't watching baseball anyway. But the first year of like my life, as far as I can remember, since 2006 when I became a baseball fanatic, there's a chance of no baseball. So maybe I'll get hooked in another sport. Um, you know, the Super Bowl just happened uh <laughs> probably won't be football um not the biggest fan of uh basketball certainly not hockey I, i've said before on the podcast i don't like hockey if i had to pick another sport to to go all in on I don't, my, my friend's really into tennis so maybe tennis or uh soccer i feel like soccer is pretty intense but um anyway so that was that was my regular baseball thing uh what else? What else? What else? Um, I, I've been listening to a podcast on uh, lifespan and longevity recently. Um, it's, it's actually called Lifespan by David Sinclair. It's based on the book that he wrote. And I've been trying to get him on my show. So uh, Dr. Sinclair, if you're listening, <laughs> would love to chat with you. But anyway, the podcast is all about the ways in which you can restructure your lifestyle to extend your lifespan, whether that be diet, exercise, supplements, Things like heat therapy, cold therapy. I feel like I've talked about a lot of this stuff at various times in the pod, um, but not necessarily in terms of longevity. Like I've talked about nutrition, and I have an episode coming up, which I'm really excited about on nutrition, um, but not about like living longer, just like generally being healthier. So it's a fine distinction. And I've talked about like, you know, exercise, but exercise to stay skinny or to lose weight, not exercise to live to be 150. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, I just I started listening to his podcast. Um, I've I've uh, read one of his books, and as a joke, my friend just turned thirty. I bought him a copy of Lifespan <laughs> for his thirtieth birthday as a way of being like, "Hey, man, <laughs> you know the end is near." But no, so I, I've just gotten really into it, like thinking through, you know, and maybe it's it's in part, you know, my, my old age, right? I, I feel like I, I keep talking about it, but um. Maybe maybe that's in part, but I I I've gotten into it and I find myself making decisions now, not like framed by my desire for longevity, but 
it's kind of in the back of my mind. Like he talks about one meal a day, the idea that instead of eating, because the conventional wisdom is eat lots of small meals instead of one big meal. But he says that if you do intermittent fasting um, with essential nutrients throughout 80, 90% of the day, and then allow yourself one big meal um, where one big meal where you're like getting all the nutrients and calories that that that's efficient. Uh, and then I guess the crux of his, um, argument on diet and, and I'm going to butcher it, but, but, um, until we get him on the podcast is the best we can do. I guess the crux of his argument is that hormesis, um, which is like challenging your body's natural homeostasis, the hormesis that you experience when you're hungry is actually good for your body. And so, and that's kind of the the gist of intermittent fasting. And so pushing your body to the extremes and, uh, you know, limiting yourself to one meal a day actually um, helps to uh, reverse the aging process one meal a day. Uh, I haven't been able to do that, um, but it is an interesting, interesting thought. And then what else have I learned with lifespan? He talks about how after you eat a meal, you should always like get up and walk around. I feel like I knew that intuitively, but I never practiced it. Now I'm trying to uh, structure my walks with Penny, with my dog, uh, to be after my meals. And then um, for supplements, he talks about uh, taking NAD boosters, resveratrol. Uh, what were the other ones? Um, vitamin B3. I definitely want to incorporate them into my um, into my regimen. I so NMN um, resveratrol we talked about uh, metformin vitamin D three vitamin K two statin low dose aspirin a bunch of other stuff I um yeah I mean I I think there's a lot of interesting research that he's been doing at Harvard Medical School with the, uh, I think it's the biology, what is it, the the, heart, the Sinclair Lab? Sinclair Lab. Uh, yeah, he'd be, at this point, he's like a dream guest because not only is he, but not, not only is his research making a lot of waves in academia, but his podcast is like soaring to the charts of Spotify. Um, and it, it is interesting that uh, the people are like, really into anti-aging now. And he's, I mean, uh, David Sinclair is 52 years old, but he looks like, you know, he looks like he's in his, his mid-late 20s. And he talks about how he's been able to reverse his aging by doing these things to his, you know, to his daily regimen. And now he says he has his 20-year-old body back. So it'd be cool to get him on. Um, I, uh, I think I did an episode on aging way back in the day with, Stephanos with my friend who you'll hear from next week. Um, let's see if I can find it. I feel like it was one of the earlier episodes. It was, I'm going to say episode 17. No, no, it wasn't 17. Say episode, uh, it was 17. Wow. Go with your gut. It was 17. Um, how to slow down the aging process. And this was June 2019, this was almost three years ago. But anyways, it'd be, I think it'd be really fun to have uh, David Sinclair on at some point. Or, or if not him, then someone else, Peter Atia. I actually think someone, this is a huge coincidence, but in the reviews for my podcast, someone wrote uh, a couple weeks ago that you should get Peter Atia on. I think that's what they said, right? Let me check. They said, 
unless I'm getting the name wrong. Uh, yep, Big City Ghost 924. I don't know what that means. You should reach out to Peter Atia. He's a podcast physician. Um, I tell you guys, I like read the reviews. I really appreciate it. Uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Um, but I, yeah, so so I, I uh, it's just interesting that there's there's like an appetite for longevity, life extension stuff. Um, what else do I want to say? I mentioned uh, the Oscars are coming up and every year I try to watch all nine or 10 best picture films, yada, yada, yada. I have not watched any of them besides Don't Look Up, which we'll talk about next week. So maybe um, when I have time, when I'm not reading on Libby or watching Game of Thrones, I'll, I'll check out one or two of these Oscar movies. Um, and then like COVID, you know, COVID, like the the dust bunnies under your bed. You just keep sweeping them up and they just keep coming back. Uh, who would have thought? Who would have thought 2022 um, still still wrestling, still wrestling with, with, with COVID, um, with Omicron. I just wonder if I'm going to have a normal graduation. Uh, <laughs> Penny's playing with her teething ring. I wonder if I'm, I'm going to have a normal graduation or if it's going to be virtual, virtual diplomas. Anyways, I, uh, I'm really pumped for the next slew of episodes here. I have uh, a conversation with Stevanos on don't look up coming up, which should be a lot of fun. Um, I have the uh, nutrition episode coming up with um, author, journalist Mark Schatzker, where we talk about artificial sweeteners, vitamins, fat replacers, and processed foods and how they're all making us fat. (laughs) Um, And I also, this is a very special episode coming up um, next month, at the end of next month, I have my friend who is a comedian and impressionist coming on um, to do some of his world-class impressions. That, that I think, is going to be one of my... um, uh, one of the better episodes I've had in the last year or two. Uh, and that one's also going to be on YouTube. So I hope you guys like the YouTube episodes. Definitely, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep making them because, I mean, with like with Austin, with my friend The Impressionist, um, you kind of need a visual medium to capture his impressions. But I, don't, I like the YouTube episodes, but definitely, like, they don't have the reach. Uh, they're not as listened to as, like, the regular ones on Spotify and Apple. But, yeah, uh, all that, a uh, lot more coming up. I I think that's it. I think that's everything wanted to cover. Let me see. I have not looked at the thing. I figured this was going to be like a shorter one, maybe like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, we're right around there. Maybe, yeah. But thanks so much for listening. Um, the usuals, Nervous Habits Podcast on Instagram, Nervous Habits underscore on Twitter, Nervous Habits Podcast, full episodes and clips on YouTube. Um, for the old-fashioned folk, Nervous Habits Podcast, <laughs> gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for indulging all the, the incessant TV talk and the baseball talk. And uh, stay tuned for more Nervous Habits. Take care. Bye, guys. Nervous Habits. Bonus content.